you write me a check? And you know I always take notes. <laughs> Journal everywhere I go. My wife got me this, actually. It's got my initials on it. And I think, I think that's actually really good practice and um, something I should be doing. Something I've always had, um, I would say, good intentions about, but never been able to stick with it. It's a habit. Yeah. It's a healthy habit. Yeah. Like I told that guy today, this evening when it was so like focused on like, all right, are you sure journaling? I'm like, yes, journaling helps. It was actually something that they told me before I went on the Bachelorette. They, uh, a pastor told me, uh, I was like, do you have any advice for me? He was like, you need to write down your emotions and your feelings and write out everything throughout the day and see how present you are. Hmm. And I, I just acted on it. And it, was, it blew my mind. I've, I've always carry this in my back pocket. Anything that either somebody says or a statement or a quote or. So when you say see how present you are, what did you pick up when you started journaling? Did, did you feel like you were maybe less present than you thought you were? Yeah, I was uh, too focused on either the future mm. or in, stuck in the past. Mm. So a lot of worry, a lot of doubt, or maybe I'm not good enough, or am I, am I getting somewhere? And it was just always like chasing my tail. Kind of, I guess they call it the rat race. Mm. And uh, for once in my life, I was like, I kind of like pulled the e-brake and was like, all right. Am I really focusing on the conversations that I have with people? Mm. Am I having that dialogue and that respect? Am I listening instead of wanting to get my point across? Mm. And then the rest of that was history. I mean, I try to stay in the moment. Well, there's there's talking versus listening, and then there's also, a, I've heard people call that time traveling. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so you mentioned about the bachelor. So just to set that up, um, when I came into the restaurant earlier, you said something effective, like, dude, I haven't looked at your questions. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you, Collins. I don't know that I know you well enough to have a list of questions. These are the things that I'm supposed to ask Collins. I'll just say, I wanted to have this conversation with you. So I'll tell you this. So we, we were having wellness Wednesdays at the office and, I kind of forgot we were having Wellness Wednesdays. <laughs> so I go into the office to do some work the other week, and I walk in, there's 40 agents in there. Oh, oh, this is Wellness Wednesday. So I, I sit down with Ryan, because what else am I going to do, right? Um, and I'm listening to Sarah's talk, and, and I see this dude walks in, and Ryan, Ryan's like, bro, bro, there he is. I'm like, who, where is? He's like, that's him. And I'm like, that's who? And I see you, and I'm like, no homo. Maybe like top five most handsome dudes I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, what? What's happening here? So then Ryan goes over and talks to you. And then um, you kind of give your presentation after after Sarah. And the thing that I picked up on was like your level of engagement when you gave the talk. It, it seemed more like um, something that was a mission for you. And something that you were locked in on versus just, you know, I have a restaurant, come buy my product. This is my business. This is my presentation. It felt real personal. Mm. So so after talking with you and Raya for a few minutes, you you started hitting some notes that that kind of 
had some bells going off in my mind, which was like you started talking about raw milk, you started talking about um, problems with with corruption in the food industry, and I kind of got me a little excited because most people who who operate restaurants, those are not things that they're conscious of, right? Right. Restaurateurs have a little, enough on their plate as it is just to try to stay in business, especially with costs and right. especially post COVID. Yep. Right. So it just sort of had me curious. Um, and the thing that I've watched with you just, just walking into your restaurant over and over again over the last month or so is you're still bringing that same energy that you brought whenever I first met you at the brokerage. You're having these engaging conversations with every person that walks in the door. And it still kind of sent me that same message like, there's something else going on here besides, you know, somebody who's working at Chipotle. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there and then someone says to me, you know, he was on the bachelorette and I'm like, okay, this all makes sense. Now this tracks. So just, just putting all the pieces together. Um, you're an interesting dude, Collins. Um, and I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that with you, man. So, so what's your, what's your story uh, as far as your origin story on having the restaurant? And then we can go back from there. So it all started, um, I think in 2020, I think 2020 was like the pinnacle year, um, from a high point and from a low point. And, uh, in March in 2020, I, um, not afraid to say this cause it's, uh, just part of my story and, and just being vulnerable, um, about committed suicide, mm. um, from alcoholism and, uh, you know, for those who listen to this podcast, uh, I think, um, you know, everybody has a story. Mm. Everybody has a past. Um, I think true character of a man is being able to give shade for those who maybe are, are on the same trail, um, but want to take a break. And so, um, when I woke up that morning of, <laughs> Uh, interesting night um and i wrecked my truck actually i hit my neighbor's truck at 11 p.m i'll never forget it like it was yesterday and uh the weight that i carried of not telling him for an entire week um just that shame and guilt i felt just horrible but the week after realizing like i gotta tell him was the most free I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, and so I guess that was kind of the kickstart in March of 2020. And then um, at the end of March, I got the news of my grandmother um, going two different directions, uh, quadruple bypass surgery or having another stroke and probably dying. And um, her kidney, she has kidney failure. So she's 79 years old at the time with uh, stage four kidney failure. And um, I just hit, I just, I, I, I'll never forget it. I was, I got a phone call from my mom and my mom was crying and she's like, you know, your grandmother could be dying soon. And I just hit my knees, just literally landed on my knees. And I said, God, why her? Why the woman that took care of me um, when my mom was going through things, um, battling with things in her past. And, and I was young when my, or excuse me, my mom was young when she had me. 
So and my father passed away when I was one. So a lot of weight, to say the least, when I was uh, for 29 years that I carried a lot of bitterness and anger for God taking my father. And now he's about to take a woman in my life that was a mother. And um, I just... I just remember having a second with God at like 9.30 p.m. in my basement. And um, I said, if there's anybody that you should take, it should probably be me. Because I'm the one with the heart issues, not her. And uh, that was really like kickstarted my entire life, honestly. Um, and then uh, I remember that night I called my buddy. And... Uh, I called him and I told him, I was like, you know, I'm not having good thoughts again. And, um, so he was like, well, Collins, you've been single for about a month and a half now. Why don't we, uh, why don't we apply for the bachelorette? <laughs> so, uh, my spontaneous self applied and, um, I put some pictures of, you know, my natural bodybuilding. Um, I put some pictures of just me having fun and, just uh, pictures that would not showcase a mechanical engineer, <laughs> to say the least, my wild side. And um, I remember going home, and on that Monday, I, uh, my grandfather and I had to make a call and see if we're, is it's either my grandmother has quadruple bypass surgery at 79, and it's going to be a heavy journey. You said she had kidney failure. Correct, but the... I think one of her valves okay. wasn't working properly okay. and the lack of oxygen getting to her heart. Mm. There's just a lot of things that were breaking down. Mm -hmm. And so quadruple bypass surgery or a potential stroke and or a heart attack. Mm -hmm. uh, and from the medical standpoint, I don't know how all that functions and works, mm -hmm. but um, long story short, we actually ended up going through the surgery. And so um, I was in Virginia at the time and I got a call from California and they were like, uh, so you were living in Huntington at the time? Ashland, Kentucky. Ashland. And so yep. you went back to Virginia to be with your grandmother and then California. So, so during this time of COVID, um, I was able to work from home. Mm. And that uh, was actually beautiful because all my projects were suspended. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't even able to go into the plant. And they just had a lot of restrictions. And so, you know, me going to Virginia was nothing. I can just open up my laptop, answer mm -hmm. emails, whatever I need to do. But... Um, I had no intentions on making The Bachelorette. I had no intentions on going on the show. I just was, I applied and we'll see where it goes. And I've, I never forget, we made the call that my grandmother was going to have the surgery. And as she was going through the process of that, I was going through the process of The Bachelorette. It was wild. And I got a phone call at 5.30 or 5 o'clock that Monday. And they said, we'd like an interview. Are you able to do it this afternoon? I was like, yeah, because it's California time. Mm. So I was like, yeah, well, you know. And that was the first time in my life that I was real. So had you sobered up by the time you had gone to Virginia? No. No. Okay. Um, sober up in enough to where I wasn't drinking to pass out, mm. but not sober enough until really May 30th of 2020. Um, but before we get to that point, that interview that she did was recorded 
and I felt like I was for the first time in my life real and raw with all the questions she asked me. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember specifically the questions that she asked me because it's really irrelevant, but that was kind of the first time that I was able to just not kind of hide the man in the mirror mm-hmm. any longer. You know, she asked me questions about my past and about how's my dating life. And I just basically said, you know, I've never been able to hold a woman to save my life. Mm. I don't even know who Collins is. You know, it's funny. I would think you would think in your local relationships, your friendships, the people that you know, you have some foundation of context for. The, those might be the people that you're more comfortable being honest with. Then, then you get a call from a, a national TV show that has millions of viewers. That's when things get real for you. Right. And it, and it was actually like forcing me to mature in a way that if a million or if, if millions of people are watching me, how do I want to be respected mm. and honored? But at the same time, my grandmother's going through this process. If she were to watch the show, is she going to say, oh, grandson? Mm. Or is she going to say, oh, wow, that's my grandson that I raised? Mm. And so there's like so many things going through my mind. Like, I don't want to embarrass myself. I've watched the show. I've, I've, I've seen all the episodes where they have a bad guy. They have a villain. They have a guy that's acting a, a fool. And at the end of the day, I was going through myself like, man, this is pushing me to self-develop very quickly. But also at the same time, I was fed up of corporate America. Mm. I was fed up. I was tired of their ideology and their diversity inclusion and all of the different ways that a public company tries to look and perceive on the outside. But in reality, you're just doing this to impress your board of directors. And I just, I was tired of it. I was, I was like, you know, if, if this is a chance for me to walk away from corporate for good, I'm all in. I'm going to ask you a real personal question. Give it to me. You're talking about diversity, equity, and conclusion. Um, you're half black. Yes. Did you feel like you were ending up in situations as a result of that sort of decision making where people didn't necessarily care about you, that you were the person who was fulfilling a quota? 100%. And the reason why I say that is, is you're, you're from Eastern Kentucky mm-hmm. and um, I was, there's only like 5% black people working for the well, refinery. Listen, <laughs> I, I tell people, you, you think growing up in a super small Kentucky town like I did, people expect, oh, it's probably really racist there. And I say, no, I didn't know what racism was because there were no black people to be racist against. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> it's just like... To put in perspective, I was the only like half black engineer. Yeah. We yeah. had another black engineer. That, uh, um, she was a chemical engineer and I was the only mechanical. Yeah. But I felt like... Oh, man. I didn't feel respected there at all. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm sure they... Uh, no hard feelings against them. I just, I, I felt like I was gravitating farther and farther away from mm-hmm. actually. And then, it, and then, you know, it's interesting, you know, obviously, uh, <sighs> Hey man, listen, I don't know if you read the description on this invite that I sent you, <laughs> but anybody, anything, anyone says that they don't want, broadcast won't be okay even, even if it means we have the whole conversation and nobody ever hears it but us yeah so i want you to feel comfortable 
and just go where you, your heart wants you to go. Well, I was going to say that uh, before going out there to California, when I got the news that I got accepted and I signed my contract with Warner Brothers, um, and this is kind of an intro into how I met my wife. Mm. Um, I remember working out at Planet Fitness and... And keep in mind, Lean Feast is way down the line. Like we're about probably two weeks after the fact when I got home from from being off the show. So um, I'll go into that on how Lean Feast all got adopted. But I like to I like to share this because it's very it, it's very daring to my heart. Um, but when the when I signed my papers to the Bachelorette, I had to put all my exes. Like I had to put like three or four exes mm. that I dated because for references and whatnot. And, and that was actually very beautiful because I started going all the way back, like the, the very first girl that I stopped dating in 2020. I wrote a letter to, I apologized, and then I just started going apologizing to all of them, all the way back to like, bef- like right after I got out of college. I just started apologizing, messaging him on Instagram. I didn't expect them to get back with me or mm. anything. I just wanted to say, look, I'm sorry that I was not the man that you thought of. I'm sorry that I was the complete immature a-hole. Like, I'm sorry for everything that I did, putting you through, just, just complete forgiveness, emptying out myself of forgiveness mm. and owning everything that I've done, mm-hmm. everything I've said, everything I've done to put you in a funk, whether gaslight, whatever it was, I owned it. Mm. And I didn't want that outstanding baggage to come into my marriage now. Mm. And so I saw Sarah, who we dated back in 2019 in Ashland when I was working for Marathon at the time, I met her. And once again, another relationship that fizzled out after three months because one, I was so focused on building my empire with real estate um, I was focused on the damn Brazilian lifestyle that I wanted. For real, I, I idled uh, damn Brazilian mm-hmm. when he was up and coming. And then most importantly, I didn't respect that she was a mother raising two children as a single mom. Mm-hmm. And so I saw her at the gym and I even told her like, you know, just FYI, I'm, I'm going on the show, but I just want to let you know I'm dearly, truly sorry for being the man you didn't expect and i want to please apologize for the immaturity and not respecting who you as a mother and your two children i think you're an amazing woman and i honor and value your self-sufficiency of raising your kids and that was it i didn't expect to get back with her no intentions possible i walked out said what i had to say well, apparently now that I know this, she prayed for me and she wanted just me to apologize back from 2019 when we fizzled out after three months. Mm. But it took, as you can see, a whole year before that time has come. And when I apologized to her, just the weight. Mm. I mean, just apologizing to all the women that I've ever dated, mm. the weight of it felt so free um i wasn't doing it for show i wasn't doing it for public attention i was doing it for private 
I was doing more for me and, and the hurt that was in my heart. And um, I went on the show with uh, no intentions on marrying Claire. <laughs> I, uh, I listened actually to some of her podcast and some of the things that she's dealt with in her life. And a lot of it was her past abuse for seven years. And so when I was out in California, my intentions were not to marry Claire. I actually, my intentions actually were to either get kicked off or to be the bat, the next bachelor, mm. honestly. Like I want, I was like, you know what? If she's not going to be right for me because if she hasn't dealt with abuse that mm. all women should deal with before they get into a relationship mm. and just accept the fact that if you've been abused, please go get help. Well, I think every person. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, but <laughs> correct. You're exactly right. So, but I knew it wasn't going to be uh, a, a marriage. There, mm. there was nothing there that, uh, I mean, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, at this time, I was so focused on a woman of character, not just looks. Mm-hmm. I was focused on a woman that um, w- feared the Lord mm-hmm. and focused more on servanthood. So I, like, I, like I like to reference the Proverbs 31 woman. And... Um, so many things happened when I was out in California in that condo. I mean, so many things happened. So we weren't at the mansion. We were actually at uh, the La Quinta Resort in Southern California, mm. about three hours from the LAX. Mm. And they kept me in there for 98% of the time for about five days. They do that on purpose, though. Because I'm outside my Warner Brothers contract, I can speak about this. So it's pretty cool. I, I, it's... I think holding a secret was very hard for me for like the first two years. Mm. I had to. That was part of the contract. But, um, man, just so many revelations I had. Um, I was journaling at the time. I even have uh, videos on my phone um, of recording myself, um, just pouring out my 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 heart, my emotions, how I'm feeling. I just just kind of self reflection, and um, I'll never forget on Wednesday that I was out there that I had to give up my phone, I had to give up my laptop, I had to give up everything. Um, I had made a decision to sell all my real estate. And at the time I had about three rental properties and oh, my, my portfolio was building. I was actually working on a fourth one. I mean, it was, it was building, it was growing. And uh, I remember calling Scott and saying, we're not gonna do this deal. Were these Ashland, Huntington? Huntington, Marshall University. Yeah, yeah you know Andrew Mills by chance? I saw his face. Anyway, go ahead. But um, yeah, I just felt a conviction to sell all my real estate because it just wasn't. It, it, we're going somewhere here. It, I didn't have a mission. Mm. I didn't have like a, a why. Mm. I just saw other people and mentors getting real estate, and so I kind of mm-hmm. was just doing it. I was doing the Burr method: mm-hmm. buy, renovate, mm-hmm. rent out, refinance, mm-hmm. and uh, it was working. And, you know, for those that do that method, great, all for you. But that's just not my why at that time. I just felt like I was going with the crowd and I, um, probably not smart if you're going to start a business to, to have a bunch of <laughs> uh, rental properties in a different state that you don't have private management and whatnot. So there's just a lot going through my head. But um, so much went on out there to the point where Saturday came at 1030, I got the news. And uh, they told me that I wasn't going to be on the show. 
and I accepted that. You know, I was um, I was not focused on Instagram likes and and all of that. They did put me on Facebook and Instagram and all that. That's great, but once again, that that public success and public fame ends pretty quickly mm. when you're not in the spotlight anymore. Mm. Um, and so on Saturday, I uh, this is going to be wild. I um told my executive producer I want to go to Huntington, West Virginia when he came in, right? And so I'm flying back to Huntington. But at 12 o'clock, I heard go to Richmond. Keep in mind, I don't have my phone. I don't have my laptop. I don't have anything. I just know I need to go to Richmond. Had in my gut. Had to go to Richmond. And um, my best friend, Ray Gaddis, who plays for now FC Cincinnati, he's a... Uh, Defender, he gave me a proverb before I went on the show. Um, proverb seventeen, three for the for the crucifix of silver and gold, but the Lord tests thy heart. And I felt like at that moment, my my heart was tested not only from getting rejected from being on one of the biggest platforms in America, but also just being intentional on where I should go after having all that spotlight. And I felt like I need to go back home. I wanted to be with my grandparents. I don't need to be going to work. I need some time off. And um, I went back home. And uh, at about 1 o'clock, I went outside to get some fresh air. And I remember this guy. And uh, I've, I've, I've said this. I said, I've, so I, I have a book on hold that I'm writing called The Brokenness Inside of the Man. And I, I speak about this exact point in the book. And... It was about a guy who was about 25 years old who um, was working for the resort. And we weren't allowed to talk to, the only people we were supposed to talk to is our producer, uh, Claire, and then I forgot the the guy that runs the whole show, um, the host. But um, I just started having a conversation with this guy. I was like, man, what's going on in your life? And he just poured out his heart to me. You know, I want to respect his testimony, but, you know, long story short, man, we just had a moment for like 20 minutes of just kind of like me and you. You know, we've, we've talked about some very heavy stuff right off the bat. And I remember telling him, like, I know for a fact we were supposed to talk. And I told him, I'm, I'm actually leaving in about three hours. But if there's anything I have to get out of this, this reality TV show, it was probably meeting you and encouraging you to don't give up and continue to persevere through opposition and your adversity in your life. And I see you. And uh, man, just me and him just kind of teared up a little bit. Um, and then at four o'clock, man, I got the call. Uh, I got my phone back. I got everything. And um, first person I called was my grandfather. And he was in a, like a gown, like a hospital gown. Wow. And uh, of course, I'm like weeping in the back of my car. I mean, of course, my chauffeur was like, everything all right back there? I was like, yeah. It was just having a heart to heart with my grandfather. And uh, my grandfather had a heart attack on Friday. So hit the pause button real quick. They had taken all your communication devices you wouldn't have known that your grandfather had had a heart attack unless they had told you you were going home. Correct. Wow. 
and they're supposed to contact me if anything happened like that like they have an emergency contact information or a number that they call and i gave them my grandparents number i gave them my my mom's i gave them everybody's number my family but intuitively i uh I knew I was supposed to go to Richmond. I don't know why. Mm. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's just, I can't make that up. And so it's funny. My grandfather, of course, you know, he's in the hospital. He's, <laughs> I mean, this was nothing new to him. He, we, he said so many like little m miniature heart attacks or, uh, he, yeah, exactly. Uh, he had a bottle of nitro that I always carried in his pocket <laughs> and it, we called them episodes. So they weren't, it didn't sound so bad. Yeah. So my grandfather was like, oh, I'm just having another episode comes. Yeah. I'm just weeping. Yeah. And in his response, he said, please tell me you're not marrying that 39 year old woman. <laughs> and I just started laughing, <laughs> like crying and laughing at the same time. <laughs> you know, no, no disrespect to her. I'm just like, you know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's, it's pretty funny. And, um, so when I got home, and I spent quality time with my grandfather and my grandmother, and they've just asked me all these questions, like, how was it? And, you know, and, uh, you know, at this time I was, I was pretty actively re reading my Bible, mm. you know. Um, haven't had a drink since May 30th of 2020. Um, I think actually on my phone. What was the date at that point when, when your grandfather called you? July, I think 18th or 19th of 2020. Okay, so just a couple months out from hitting your neighbor's truck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I was about 40 days sober. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, there's definitely urges to have a drink, but no, I mean, I think think when you, um, when you really self-reflect on uh, why you're getting the urge or... Mm -hmm. What's causing that? Mm. I, it was just a lot of the suppression mm. that I was holding inside. Mm -hmm. um, but on August the fifth, or so, so, so going into August, I, um, I got that concept lean feast, and it kind of dropped dropped right in my lap from a guy that at Marathon I worked for. His son went down to Arkansas hunting and met the lean feast guys. Mm. And uh, he he brought the concept to me, and he was a younger guy, and so he was like, "Hey, man, you want you want to start Lean Feast together in Kentucky?" And I was like, "Well, like let me let me look at the demographics, let me look at the business plan, let me look at everything." So I analyzed it pretty quickly. But on August the fifth, I heard, "Be the light in the community of Lexington," mm. and I kind of just like I wrote that down on August the fifth of twenty twenty, and. Uh, Kind of just prayed about it and was like, you know, what what is this? And I just I didn't hear anything. But as I was going through the process of lean feast, this was obviously my way out. And I and I asked like I had so many questions like, do you want me to leave? Like, do you want me to walk away from marathon? Like I I was just like praying like talking with God and and um, on August nineteenth of twenty twenty, I rededicated my life. My grandparents watched my testimony. Um, my my mentors watched my testimony. I, I I spoke publicly about all of my flaws and failures in the church, and I just was I was tired of running away. 
was tired of um, filling uh, life with all things that didn't bring me joy or peace or fulfillment. You know, you've, you've been playing music for 20 years. It's probably natural for you. Serving people is natural for me. You made a statement like, you know, every time you, you walk into Lean Feast, we're having just meaningful conversations. I love God and I love people. Mm. It's natural for me. I mean, yeah, I've I never met a stranger. I, yeah. And I don't get it. I don't. There's so many times where I'm like, why are people telling me all of this stuff? Well, I'll tell you why. And it's one of the things I sort of appreciated about you. Um, I think um, I think all of us carry around this non-idealized self um, and pain and trauma. Yeah. Some people have it worse than others, but it's about what it means for you, right? And I think... Um, if you if you're willing to just take that step and show somebody your humanity and your brokenness, because everybody else is carrying that around too, right? It's like okay, this dude is real and he's lived it, and he's he by giving it to me, he's giving me permission to give mm, it back. So good, right? Yeah. And I think it's um. I think people feel. a lot of times like they're the only one going through what they're going through. Right. Cause everybody's just kind of tunnel vision. Yeah. Yep. But it's like, we all have the same impulses to one degree or another. Uh, we all have the same flesh. We all, um, get stuck in the same systems and the same things. And, um, we each have different trauma and different opportunities. So much of what happens with us internally is just sort of different versions of the same thing. And I think if, if you're willing to sort of speak with boldness about your, your own humanity and your own flaws and your own story, like people respond to that immediately. And I, I think it's also true that, those challenges that we have, the hard parts of our stories are actually where the real opportunities for growth are. Correct. Those things can, can be and should be our, our biggest blessings if we know how to focus our attention and, and what to do with it, right? It, right. It, the hard parts about our lives don't make us defective. Right. They just tell us where to focus. Right. Um, and I guess that's a little bit of a tangent, but um, it feels like a risky thing to just volunteer that to people, um, for most people. But but I think when you get to a point in your life where how how your trauma has shaped you into something positive, it becomes so much of a part of your identity and who you are when you look in the mirror that that's the part of you that you want people to see. Right. And so that's what you'll lead with. Right. Right? Yep. And I don't know, man, I, when you came to the office, I just, I picked that up. I mentioned, uh, you know, it, it's one thing serving or, or selling a product to somebody, but if if you don't know the story behind the product, mm. I, quite frankly, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's why I, I go to Marksbury, the owners, um, the, the partners uh, pour back into me and mm-hmm. invest in me. Um, recently they just gave my, my, my wife and I a, a catering event on Valentine's Day. So my wife and I served on Valentine's Day and then our Valentine's Day started on Wednesday. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's those opportunities, like without me going down there and, and actually taking what my wife said, hey, honey, we should, we should go local for our steak. Mm. All right, all right, I'll, I'll look around. Mm. You know, it's, it's meeting my spouse in the middle and saying, honey, you're right. You know, this was an awesome opportunity. Like if I would have ignored my wife and said, well, you don't know anything about business. Mm or you don't know what you're talking about and kind of had my wall up there, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And mm-hmm. so it's, 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 I, I call them. And, and really, I mean, some people could probably, but daily habits of, of saying yes to what is not being feeling driven, but opportunity driven. Mm. And then also if I do make this decision, looking down the road on how it's going to affect everybody, mm-hmm. not just me. Mm-hmm. Like Lean Feast is for this community. I've said that. I've written over my LLC to the Lord. Like God, if I die, if something happens to me, it's for the community. And I know for a fact somebody, if not my wife, somebody in this community will pick up the mantle. Mm-hmm. Because every single person comes in there, I want to love. I want to show the same level of support and I wish I could serve every single person that comes in here, but obviously there's, there's a fine line, right? But my mission is what I'm selling. I'm not selling just food. Mm-hmm. And that passion, that zeal, that, that tenacity, you know, there are times where I've had nothing in my business account at all. Like, I don't know how I'm going to make this payment. And there's been times where I've had a lot. But I don't, I don't get driven off of that. I don't get driven off of transaction. I get driven off of, hey, Thad, how's your wife doing? Mm. Hey, hey uh, 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 Tanner, I noticed you're having a baby. How's your wife feeling in her third trimester? Hey, Ben Allen, how, how's your family doing? Your mom, your, your, your mother was up here for whatever. You know, hey, Greg back, how's, how's your sons doing? You know, it's personal to me. Mm. And I genuinely care about this community. And if I could, I'd just give free food. I hate selling. I just I, I do. I hate it because I think I think when I when I lost my job on September 29th of 2020. So I'm gonna stop you right there. You you say you were struggling on what to do and whether to walk away. You haven't said you lost your job yet. Oh, okay. So so let me let me let me backtrack. Good point. Um where I really got thrown off on the commute of uh of uh, the company is when they had me give a black lives matter presentation and this i love to keep in this podcast okay because i think the world needs to hear about this as a half black man who's uh worked and uh lived a pretty rough life Mm. living in the roughest parts of the city of richmond virginia for about five years Mm. um hearing gunshots and and, and for someone whose father got shot by another black man who was 15 years old at nine months old, um, and my father was only 21, downtown VCU, Richmond. I was nine months old when my father got shot. And, and back then, when you shot somebody, it was to get into the gang initiation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, uh, 
a little drug deal. No, it was to murder somebody to get in. Mm. And the kid that shot my father, I've already forgiven. Because we know hurt people hurt people. Mm. I mean, he just had a sick heart. He just had a fatherhood wound himself. And unfortunately, he created uh, a pretty awesome warrior now because I have forgiven him. Mm. And... um yeah, September 14th, they wanted me to do a Black Lives Matter presentation. And you know what I used it for? To share my personal testimony as uh, how I uh, found the Lord. Wow. And uh, it was it was so wild. Uh, the the two things that they told me not to talk about. Was it scripted? Had they given you? 100%. Yeah. And I went off script. I have a tendency to do that. I love it. Bachelorette, I went off script too. Yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. Because the minute that someone scripts you is the minute that un- our authenticity goes out the window. Now you're playing a role. Correct. Mm. And so I don't, I don't work well with that. Um, nor am I going to lie to people. I, I'm not, that's just not my character. And especially at this time, I was like, I ain't telling a lie. I'd rather just tell the truth and own it than tell a lie and then have that suppression and that guilt and shame just weigh on me. And um, so September I'm se- 14th. I'm seeing a theme here, man. <laughs> September 14th, I... Uh, I just spoke out. I was, you know, we were talking about um, uh, a man uh, made a statement. Well, uh, I had a pretty good child life. So why does this diversity inclusion, you know, matter to me? And I said, well, that's you. That's apathy. Mm. And, um, you know, keep in mind in the beginning of this presentation, they said, we're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to talk about religion. And I was like, well, that's funny because it was actually a political aspect mm. <laughs> looking now looking back mm. it, it was all political mm. once again they bought into the lie as a corporate fortune 500 company bought into it well that's their choice and they have to lay in that bed not me so i just kind of used it there's i'll never forget the guy guy was, uh, i won't say the guy's name but anyways he spoke up and said we wouldn't have diversity inclusion because man was created in the image of god He used the, a verse out of the Bible. Okay. He was like, we don't, this stuff, I mean, this is a, this is like a 62 year old that's worked for the company for 45 years. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I've never had a problem with race. Mm-hmm. Like I, I look at you no different than, I, you know, mm-hmm. look at his wife. He just, it, it, diversity inclusion was not anything we have created that. That's a, that's a, that's a culture term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I just kind of was like, yeah, this guy's right. And then I went in there and I was like, for those who don't know, you know, I've rededicated my life to the Lord and I've completely, I see life in a completely different lens from, you know, not having a father and being raised in a very black predominant home life and then moving into a middle-class home with my grandparents. I said, I was the one that was playing the victim card and I created all of those poor decision choices off my feelings. Your biggest critic is you. Can we flesh that out? I'm going to hit the pause button real quick on you. So I'm, I'm see, the story, you're sort of hitting on it about your childhood, about your father being shot, grew up in Richmond. Um, and then it's like you sort of skip 20 years to alcoholism, you hit your neighbor's truck, and then, you know, your grandfather has a heart attack, and then and then straight to marathon in September. Um do you care to talk about 
years two to 21. <laughs> Not at all, man. Um, so, Not at all. So, there's just a lot of trauma. Well, at, and, and a, you, at a young age, and no doubt you can't you can't cover all of it, right, um, right, right. But for the sake of cohesive narrative, um, so your mother was young when she had you, correct. Um, your mother was white. Your dad was black, correct. How young was your mother? Eighteen. So she was still she was just out of high school or senior, going into college. Going into college. Um, and, and how did she know your dad? I really don't know the whole story as to how they met. Um, but I know they met downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a nurse or in nursing school mm-hmm. type deal. Um, and my mother also has a lot of wounds, mm-hmm. too, from high school and uh, a college down in uh, University of Tennessee. But... Um, but that was the love of her life, and they were going to get married. I mean, they obviously had me outside the context of marriage. Mm-hmm. This is what happens, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, any marriage, when it's not ordained, um, I mean, this is what you get. We, The child gets the short end of the stick of both parents, unfortunately. This is why we have just a chaotic society right now is, is not taking marriage serious. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be real. So um, I am one of those kids that my mom actually probably wanted to abort me, but she chose not to have an abortion. Mm. And that's why I love my mom dearly. And everything that I suffered, I don't, I don't blame my mom mm. because of her one decision not to abort me. Yeah. Everything else, life, right? Dealt with cards, you know, father getting shot. I mean, uh, just life in general. So did did you have a continuous father figure in your life from, from stepfather? Yes, and and all of the men, if I had to guess, had fatherhood wounds. Mm. So I don't blame those men either. I saw things that a lot of four or five, or two, three, four or five year olds should not see, mm. from people abusing my mom to hitting my mom to. Uh, I mean, rape, I mean, everything, you name it. My mom's been through it. She's the toughest woman I've ever met. She's tougher than nails. But she's also carrying that. And why do you think, you know, kids grow up hitting women? It's what they saw. Yeah. Don't blame them. Right. Blame the parents. Right. It's what they saw. So the kids acting out on what they saw. Not the child's fault, it's the parents' fault. I blame the parents first. I don't blame the child. There's a, there's a cycle, right? Right, yeah, generational takes, curse. Somebody has to break it at some point. Right, and so... be broken. Right. So you had multiple men in your mom's life as a kid. Yep. And, and did that ever stabilize? No. No. Until I moved in with my grandparents. So that had... I mean, I remember everything. It's crazy. I could replay it back. I could show you exactly. I could point every single man out there that my mom dated. And so, I. So you never had. What, what year did you move in with your grandparents? Uh, when I was uh, six, between five and six years old. 
so you you at the in your early years you didn't have not only a father figure to support you to be the father figure that you need as a as a young boy but you also didn't have an example of of what a man's supposed to be and what a relationship's supposed to be correct until you moved in with your grandparents correct so tell me about life with your grandparents incredible peace joy and and they were there in midlothian yes sir okay it was just a loving, caring home. I mean, it's a a man that's walking with the Lord, and a and a grandma that's not working at all. So she's not focused on uh, getting the promotion or the career or whatnot to where she was able to mother me mm. in a way that a, a mom should mother, mm. and not focus on the external parts of the world. And then my grandfather provided for the home and was able to support my soccer support, you know, snowboarding, skateboarding, and, and support any kind of activity outside of school. And it just, I saw what a father figure looked like. And unfortunately, it was my grandfather. So I didn't take it as serious as I would with my biological father, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. Um, but he was a man of faith and he literally practiced what he preached. And I, and I, and now looking back, I noticed that mm. very clear. I mean, the man always, you know, when he got home, grandmother had dinner for him, and Fred said, okay, everybody, we're holding hands, we're praying. He led the family how a man should lead a family. When everything's going hostile, my grandfather's praying, and he's the one that's not speaking. But also, he's disciplining me in a healthy way as well. And so he just, he... He is the father that I do believe that I wouldn't be the man I am today without my grandfather's character mm. and my grandfather's sacrifice to raise me. Mm. And it's funny, my wife's, it's kind of the same way. My wife actually was raised with her, her grandfather, Johnny. And so that's why, you know, there's so much in there mm. between me and my wife. But, you know, from, from basically five years old to before I went to college, you know, it was a, it was a fairly stable household. Now things happened in middle school and, 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 you know, some things happened that I'm going to keep out. But with that being said, my grandfather was a man of faith who shined very bright in everything he did. So, How did you end up, you're telling me that really for the most of your formative years, you did have a solid foundation and, and good examples in, in your grandparents that sacrificed to take care of you. And then and then you tell me you sort of go down this road of like womanizing alcoholism, pursuing all the wrong things. Um, what was the thing that steered you in that direction? college going to the number one party school at west virginia university yeah just just simple just well college. i i i yeah i mean in high school it was a little bit you know obviously a little bit of the party crowd and being popular and i was on the varsity soccer team so that kind of introduced me to everything but um when i went to college my intentions my first intention was i want to get away from high school and everybody who is going to virginia tech or you know all that uh, schools that are in located in Virginia, 
for D1 to D3. Um, but I wanted to become a little bit more independent mm. and not rely on my grandmother. My grandmother did everything. She did laundry. I mean, she did everything. She pampered me. Mm. And I love her to death. But at the end of the day, I was like, all right, I got I to gotta, like grow up somewhere. Right? I got to grow up sometime. So I ended up... Um, I ended up going to West Virginia because nobody in my high school was going there. And I loved to snowboard. I was yeah. very good in snowboarding. And also, I wanted to study engineering. They had engineering. Mm. And then, of course, you know, it being a really big party school, I want to have fun too. Yeah. So. Best place to establish your own identity. Crazy that you say that because I literally could, like, have an identity that nobody knew about. I think that's, like, college in a nutshell wherever you go you basically can act one way at college and act a completely different person Mm. outside of college Mm. and it's almost like scary like i don't yeah but but what you describe i mean it's sort of a rite of passage for kids who go to state schools to party a little bit make some mistakes right yep um what you describe is different than that because what i'm hearing you say is that for a time in your life um, your fundamental orientation changed. The things that you were aiming at completely changed. Correct. And that's different than drinking too much and eating bad and not going to class, right? Correct. Um, that's the thing that I'm trying to figure out. So there is um, something that I suppressed that I'm not going to say. Okay. That happened at 10 years old. Okay. And so that really compelled me to drink, to pass out. Okay. But um, that drove a lot of gluttony. Mm. That drove a lot of uh, anger, uh, bitterness, rage, um, pornography. I mean, you name it, I freaking did it. It it opened up a whole different dark compartment in my heart that I didn't realize. And for a year, dude, I struggled hard. I gained like 60 pounds. And so, like, there's so many different levels that I'm, I'm aiming for in this community. Um, <laughs> to an extent, what I can share um, of, of, you know, what's ongoing right now. But um, I rebelled because I blamed God for letting this happen. Mm-hmm. Again, another thing that I'm blaming God for. And I, 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 I grew up in a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and, you know, the, I wasn't mad at my grandparents. I wasn't mad at them. I mean, what are they going to do, right? Mm-hmm. So now looking back, when you go to college or you get introduced to alcohol. Oh, yeah, it's your opportunity to escape. You got that, you got that noise in your so, head. So now, now is everything clicking? Shut that down. Right. And so everything's just compiling. You just see that darkness just yeah. all coming to the surface and I'm trying to absorb and I'm trying to numb the pain. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get rid of the, all of the loudness. And then it's just a toxic tornado. Yeah. And so yeah. when I go to college, so, so then it, then it's like, I, I was, you, hopefully that answered everything. I mean, hopefully so, that. So then, so then you've had a taste of something that in the short run, can sort of shut down a lot of what you've been carrying around for a decade as a young person, not knowing how to carry it around. Correct. Or how to, how to release it. Re- or release it. Right. 
so then all from when I was 10. Yeah, I know. Just filling an endless void. And it's like, you don't, you get so far out on that, you don't ever want to come back down to earth no. to real life. No. Right? Too hard. Too hard. Further, you, further you get, the harder that gets. That's right. And the and the and the, and the amount of weight yeah. that you carry that you have it's the reason why you have anxiety it's the reason why you have depression it's the reason why you have suicidal thoughts and it's just it's everything negative yeah. to the point where fifteen beers sound good pretty right now yeah you know what I mean yeah totally and so you've built your house on sand mm-hmm. instead of a sturdy foundation of truth and non-lies and so basically now you're living this complete different lifestyle so now you're like you're a sociopath to where over here you're acting one way and over here you're completely different well i think and it channels other it it spreads like a war fire so now you start acting out so now you start making different profiles and now you start talking i mean it's just it's just crazy the wickedness in a heart after just compiling that and making poor decisions off of my emotions and how I'm feeling and instead of just facing it head on with adversity and and and, and saying, Hey, I got a problem. Like the denial aspect. So Dan Bilzerian, there there's a guy who never has to come back down to earth. It's because he built his entire life on sand. No, no, I'm saying it. If you're looking at him as oh, your yeah, example, yeah, yeah. it's like idol. Yep. If I do that, yeah, I don't ever have to feel my pain. Right. Correct. I can make my whole life about avoiding that pain. Correct. And 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 so we see And it's something he's held up as a cultural figure. So then it's like I can have success. I can have avoiding my pain be my career. Or being your net worth. Or your net worth. Or yeah. Whatever it is. Whatever it 100%. is, right? So now going to college, I'm getting introduced to all these personalities, people from Jersey, people from Pennsylvania, people from Pittsburgh and, and New York. And, and now it just, it's one big horrible cocktail. Yeah. Not knowing, like basically just getting pulled by the wind, not having any direction in life. Other than the fact that I, I know two things. I got to walk across that stage with honors and engineering mm. and I need to make sure I graduate. Mm. That's it. That was it. Everything else, have at it. So you get to the point where I know there was more to rock bottom for you than, than just hitting your neighbor's truck and having suicidal thoughts. I think just suppressing everything up to when I was 29, it, enough was enough. I mean, there was... What was the thing that made you wake up and say, this is enough? Uh, When I... Drank everything that was at my bar. <laughs> yeah. Everything. I mean, Eagle Rare to to Pappy to you name it. I, I just I I chugged it all and then I'll never forget the last thing I drank was wine. And it when I opened my fridge it was like down because I finished the bottle too. Mm-hmm. I mean I drank more I, I should like once again, when I say that I, I lived, I should have been dead. Yeah. I don't know how I woke up. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. But I carried enough shame and guilt around from all the relationships that I've ever been into, all the uh, friendships that I've hurt and made a fool out of myself, to all the bridges I've ever burned. And, and, and I have a saying now that 
you'd never want to burn bridges because you never know when you have to cross that same bridge. It's true. So looking back, man, just just take from just five years of suppression for anybody. Suppress five years of pain and let me know how you feel. Yeah. Or suppress 10 years of pain and let me know how you feel. Or 15. I know people that suppress 30 or 40 people. I'm not going to name drop, but I know people that are suppressing for the last 40 years that they're hiding something that they've done to a woman or a girlfriend or a spouse or a, a, a nephew or a brother close. So, you know, I mean, I mean, we live in a sick world. There's nothing new. So when I released all that through the process of the Bachelorette's interviews. Well, I messed up you right there. Before the Bachelorette interview... You said you were thinking about your grandmother. So I, I, didn't, I don't think I told you this, but um, after that happened, um, the girl that I stopped dating recommended therapy, mm -hmm. and I acted on it. Mm -hmm. So for the first time, I went to a therapist, and I like just released everything. It was just a weeping fest on, I think, March 15th of 2020. Yeah. And I just was weeping to her. I just released everything. Yeah. And and anybody listening to this, uh, therapy does not show a level of weakness. It actually shows a level of strength. 100%. 100%. I mean, I talk to my pastor every week. I talk to, even if my wife is just a sounding board or my mentors are a sounding board, like tonight I actually have a call with one of my mentors, and he just wants to hear how my week's going. Has anything struck a nerve in your heart? How are you feeling with your marriage? How's everything going? Like, you need to have mentors, you need to have accountability brothers, and you need to have you know, people that you trust with very sensitive information. And that was the the kind of the pinnacle of my life saying, wow, like I can speak out on this and this is a safe place to land. She's right. I'm wrong. This is, this feels good. Like this is healthy. Yeah. This is therapeutic. And so now you now you can see a trend as going into the journal, you know, from from therapy. And I did I did like probably six sessions with her, and three out of the six I was just crying. Yeah, <laughs> it was so good. And I haven't cried besides me being drunk. I haven't cried like that in a while. Like it was probably like the last time I cried was probably when I walked across stage and I saw my grandfather like standing up and you know just you know seeing him cry. So you said something early on before you, you said the reason you were honest in the interview and you sort of danced around it a little bit. But I think what I heard you trying to say is, um, you know who your grandparents are and you know who they raised you to be. Correct. And you knew that you have this version of you that sort of originated at college and this version of you that grew up in their home. And when there's a camera in front of you, you can only be one version of yourself. Correct. And you have to pick one. Correct. Yeah. And so it's like, how how much do you value them and what they did for you in that relationship to the point that right is it more important to continue your lifestyle or is it more important to not let them down? Correct. And and be the version of your self that you know you ought to be anyway. Well, right? and then also if 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 I was going to get another job. The last thing I want on my resume is he acted a fool on camera and he was drunk 
yeah. on camera. It's, it's, pro- just, it's for the rest it of is, your life. It is the most embarrassing thing to see a drunk, like a drunk man on camera. It is absolutely embarrassing. Yeah. It is. I'm sorry. No, it's true. Um, that's just maturity 101. Like, cause I don't want my child to see that. Cause if you're, if you're saying yes to that, then you're, don't be mad at your kid when he turns 18. Hey, dad did it. Mom did it. Well, that's there forever. So that was kind of it. And then also, you know, my grandparents were getting older and I didn't, the last thing I wanted them to do is have a heart attack, seeing me act like a fool on TV. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's just be real. Yeah. No kidding. So you you brought up a really good point there. I mean, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. You have Collins who knows right and how to act versus Collins has created an identity that is so far off the beaten path that it's infiltrated by personalities at school, um, seeing uh, immature men, act and kind of balling that up and forming that into a uh, Collins 2.0 versus the original Collins knows how to act. Mm. He just has to let everything go mm. and he's got to surrender and he's got to l- release everything. And it, dude, it, it took six months. I mean, it just took, you know, I, I always say, you know, steak bite by bite. You don't just swallow entire steak, right? Mm. Right side. So, you know, every counseling session I took very serious. And and like like with her, she said, okay, let's start with childhood. And then from childhood, we went into middle school. And then from middle school, we went into high school. Okay, tell me what high school is like. Okay, then we went into college. And she saw that same trend. She's saying, okay, wait a second. So from five to 10-ish, you were good. And it was crazy because I really gave my life to the Lord at eight. I never forget. I saw Charles Stanley and Billy Graham. And I looked over to my grandma and said, I want to give my life to the Lord like you guys. But like we all know, we get attacked. And so from 10 to 29, rebellious. All rebellious. Fake version of Collins. Not Collins uh, mission driven. Collins living for self. Collins people pleasing and pleasing himself and being very selfish in the way how I live and how I act and basically playing the victim card. Let's be real. I played the victim card from when I was 10 to 29. So for 19 years, I was an expert at playing the victim instead of really just letting it all go and saying, you know what? I want to help other people. I want to serve. I don't want to play that card anymore. So now I basically, all my passion falls into loving God, loving my wife, and serving others. So, and it was at that point that you had made a decision. You you didn't want to play the victim, victim card ever again around the time that you were asked to give the Black Lives Matter presentation. Yeah. I was just tired. I'm like, so, I'm so, like. So you have this idea at this point of like, you know what you're, you want your identity to be. 100%. And they're asking you to be something else. Correct. And and not not only do you know what you're what you want your identity to be, it's a new thing for you and you're trying to hang on very tight so you don't lose that new identity. And my job's on the line. And your job's on the line. My my six-figure career's on the line. And so if I have to think 
September 14th to the 29th. The reason why I got laid off was because of September 14th. Mm. So tell me about that day. I didn't let you get all the way through it. I wanted to no, get context, good. but you're go good. ahead. So now are we good now that we've understand kind of the past and now the, yeah, let's go. The, tell me about that day. Um, when I got laid off. Yeah. Oh, well, when you had to give the presentation. Well, so I really, I didn't speak a lot because I went off script and they kind of cut me short. Oh, okay. but, but it was really cool because, um, we had all like about 25 supervisors in the room. And when one of the guys mentioned, well, this doesn't apply for me, the other guy, Alan, was like, well, you know, we wouldn't have that issue if just basically shed lighting on his faith. And I was like, yeah, I have to agree with him. Like, and then I, I shared my testimony. Well, it was interesting. I got a message on Facebook the next day from one of the guys who was a supervisor. He was like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, that really touched me. And that really hit home for what I was dealing with in my life. Thank you. Well, that only, uh, there's an engineer, I won't say his name, but he actually came to my office the next day because he heard about it. And I'll never forget, he shut my door and, dude, he just, actually, no, excuse me, a week later, he was out hunting and it like dawned on him because of after, after, after what Austin or, or the guy that I, I shared my testimony with that was in the room, he ended up talking to uh the, that engineer about it and the engineer like waited about a week before he came to my office because he was kind of like man and he was moved by it and then i was like you know what i'm on to something like this is this is cool right yeah. this is sharing your faith is, is is not a sign of weakness it's a sign of strength and i have a note that i took a picture of and it's on my macbook that um we had a, uh, we, uh, for engineering, there's a turnaround coming up and I had to work 42 days straight. Basically wrote on the fridge, I'll never forget, um, on September the 21st, I wrote, God, if you don't want me to be at this co company anymore, give me a sign because I don't need to work and I'm ready to go. Mm. September 29th came, I got let go. And it was crazy because at the time now Lean Feast is getting established type. Okay, so we have to go back to. to so, so you met with these guys and they were in. Oh, so I didn't meet with the guys until um, that kid brought me the the concept and the idea, the opportunity. The kid. Yeah. Where was he from? Uh, he was actually from Eastern Kentucky as well. Okay. Or I kind of like that, that tri-state area. Okay. Um, and so. Uh, it was interesting. In August is when I started Lean Feast and I signed my FDD and 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 was like, you know what, man, I'm gonna give this a whirl, right? I'm just I'm ready to to if 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 the bank approves me, I'll continue to go through. If they don't, no harm to foul. I'll, I'll continue to work for Marathon. And so, so this is a little bit news to me. So Lean Feast is a franchise. That is correct. This is not your concept. No, but it it almost feels like it because I'm on an island here in Kentucky and I'm the only one. How many uh, are there? Uh, there are 12. Okay. A lot of them are in California. Okay. So this one here is the only one and I don't have plans to open another one anytime soon. So you pay a franchise fee or is there revenue sharing and how, or how does that Franchise work? fee, small, franchise very minimal because okay. I got in early. Okay. So you, you took out the loan to build up do the build out for the restaurant correct sba and 
that process was actually very inexpensive compared to every single other one. I mean, like I said, like this was a miracle. Okay. Like the story behind as to why I'm here is a miracle. August the 5th, I, I hear be the light in the community of Lexington. Mm -hmm. Then I had four non-negotiables that I um, heard um, a pastor say that I kind of value. Um, those four non-negotiables is faith, family, friends, wisdom, knowledge, and community. And so if it doesn't meet those, I'm not going to partake. And so Lean Peace met all this. I know I can share my faith. Um, I know that my family and my friends can benefit off this and I'll have the flexibility for my family um, once it's established. Um, the knowledge and the wisdom surrounding myself with like-minded individuals who want to create and take risks and um, start a business is, is something that nobody's done in my family mm. um, other than my uncle. My uncle's got a trucking business, but really this was like new to me in terms of like the whole entrepreneurship space because I had a mentor who owns a ton of properties in Virginia and he was the one, he gave me the green light. He was like, Collins, you would hate to get 40 and look yourself in the mirror and say, man, I wish I would have taken that opportunity and it radically changed your life and it has. Yeah. So... Um, was I at this time, was I wanting to just play it safe and get a salary at this point? Was I ready to just take a leap of faith and just risk it all? Mm. And I was at the time ready to take all the money out of my 401k and just say, here, take it. Let's roll. Cause you didn't have any meaning from what you'd built. Had no meaning from engineering whatsoever. Right. No, like, <laughs> No offense to any mechanical engineer that's going to listen to this or any engineer out there. Um, I just was serving myself, not the community. Mm. So I felt very introverted and I'm not an introvert by any means. <laughs> I was, I was going against the grain of yeah. my purpose. Yeah. You know, um, and I have so many ideas. I have so many more ideas. I've, I'm sitting on so many other ideas that I would like to succeed but I have to be patient and I have to be diligent. I have to be intentional with how I, you know, and I feel like right now in this season, I feel like lean feast is kind of. So what was your launch date? Um, so, well, before I go into that, okay, I'd like to share a small story as to how I even got into serving. Yeah. Um, on September the 30th, the day after I got laid off, I was told privately, um, go serve the homeless. I just heard it. Go serve the homeless. But don't tell anybody this time. And at the company I was working for, for the three years, uh, we would serve every Thursday of the third or fourth of the week throughout the month. They would take a picture and they'd send it up on, on public. And it just felt very, very fake. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what people do. Hey, look, I'm serving the homeless. Yeah, signaling. Yeah, exactly. So fake. And I wasn't, I wasn't for that. And so I finally went there by myself, like I would normally do on a normal work day. And I, um, 
I created this concept called Start Your Day in Love. And it's pretty cool. I have a logo. I got, I got like the whole mission statement, everything. And I was actually thinking about starting a podcast called Start Your Day in Love. It's pretty cool. But um, prayer, Bible reading, uh, going to the gym in the morning, and then eating a healthy breakfast were like my Start Your Day in Loves. And, um, and I act like I, I started activating that like in September and it was really cool how like, you know, out of nowhere, like, wow, that's a pretty genius idea. And it, it actually really helped me. And, um, it didn't really feel regimen, but it was definitely, I was seeing a lot of fruit. I was seeing consistency. I was seeing, um, had more of a positive outlook on life instead of looking at it from a negative i was looking at it now from a positive like i i want to live my life now like, this is cool mm. and um so i went to the homeless shelter in the first day i'll never forget at lunch i met this sweet old lady named ann and uh she uh she looked up me and her eyes got all big and she was short and I was like, oh, son, you are so handsome. And I just, <laughs> I just melted, man. I was like, what is going on? Like, you know, and so I said, what is your name? And she said, I'm Ann. And you could tell she's like very nimble and she's kind of, I, I don't know if it's called metapalsy or, or whatever when you like shake. Mm -hmm. But um, man, after serving her, I just had so much joy and, and, and just compassion in my heart for her that I, uh, I stood back and I'll never forget. I was like, Lord, I wanna, I wanna hug her when I get to heaven. Like, I mean, that, that brightened my day. Of course, I just lost my job, right? Yeah. And it's like, and, and lean fees, I don't know if I'm gonna get approved. I, I was in the process of, of getting an SBA loan and it was about a five week process of just like waiting. Mm. So um, I served the homeless in the, in the interim of that five week process not knowing if I was going to get approved or whatever, but I just was like, you know what? If God's calling me to, to serve the homeless privately, I will. Well, the next day, uh, she's, she was consistent. 12 o'clock, showed up, right before they were going to close the door. And um, I'll never forget, we were serving mixed vegetables at the time. And uh, I noticed when she got to her table, she was sitting by herself and she was going to need some help. Cause she was very, you know, shaky with yeah. her hands and whatnot. And so I heard God say, you get, you're going to go help her. And so I walked over to her and, um, I said, Miss Ann, do you mind if I help you? And she said, Oh, I'd love some company. So we're, we're talking about life. We're talking about, you know, her story and how she got homeless and just everything, just having just genuine fellowship. And um, I'm feeding her, just helping her out. And uh, I'll never forget after we got done, she looked over me. She said, son, can I ask you a question? And I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anything for you, Ann. She said, can I hug you? And she gave me a kiss on the cheek. And, dude, I lost it, man. Lost it. And... um. That's when I knew God was definitely listening to me very diligently like a father would. And um, 
Emma, I just, she just shattered my heart in a really positive way. Mm-hmm. So I served for a month straight. Um, and, and I had so many experiences like that. I mean, I literally can write books on every day that I served at that homeless shelter. Like every day I have logs, I have what happened. I was journaling. I mean, I and keep in mind, I kept that journaling process after the bachelorette. And so, man, I was just so present. I was in the zone. I was listening to you name it. Um, I was looking at these people no different than you said. And uh, it reminded me of looking back from two years now serving this community. Um, I've served over probably 200,000 meals, which is incredible. My, my goal is a million meals. I want to serve over a million meals. And I felt like now looking back, God said, how are you going to serve a community with transaction if you came and serve the Brooklyn brokenness? Like, how are you going to be an entrepreneur if you came and serve the broken? Mm. He knew exactly how much money I had in my account and the, the severance package that they gave me and everything. But I feel like if I couldn't serve in a soup kitchen without a platform, how do you serve with a platform? Mm. Such a deep reflection and revelation. And I go back to that moment. Anytime I have a rough day at work or if I'm exhausted or, I mean, I enjoy sweeping. I enjoy going to, Mm. like, after we leave this podcast, I'm going to do more dishes and I'm going to go, you know, I I steward that place inside and out. And some people say, well, you bought a job. No, I didn't buy a job. Mm. We're called to serve this community, whether you like it or not, no matter how many zeros are in your bank account, if you don't have any money. At the end of the day, if I die tomorrow, I want to know I did everything I could for my wife in this community, not holding anything back. And the contrast of getting paid a a decent amount of money to work for Marathon and be stuck in your head all the time versus serving in a, a soup kitchen for free, but having those meaningful interactions where you're giving and receiving and you feel like you're learning something. Um, that had to feel like night and day for you. 100%. And it's almost a feeling you can't, I can't explain it unless you do it. Yeah. Like I can't. Well, especially since that was the thing that you were hungry for where you were anyway. Right. right. right? It right. may not hit everyone, everyone the same way that it hit you. Right. But it was a combination of, of Collins' life, Collins' personality, Collins' circumstance. And it's all sort of and, and just seeing there. and seeing Miss Ann's demeanor, yeah, according to her circumstances compared to what I had, and seeing the joy and her compassion and her grace and her eyes and her, her smile, and she had nothing to give, but she gave me the most valuable thing anybody can give which is a kind word to a heart. Yeah. Like when I give my wife kind words or if I write her a card or something, you can't put a price on that. Especially if maybe my wife's battling with something and I didn't know she was battling with something Mm. or or your wife, you know what I mean? Mm. And so like when she gave me those words of affirmation, it's what I needed at that time. I didn't need money. (laughs) I, I, that was the least right. bit of my concern. Right. 
I needed someone to notice me. I needed that, that words of affirmation. I needed that, hey, son, I see you. I see what you're doing. You're listening to me. I'm proud of you, son. Keep it up. Mm-hmm. I hear every little thought, every little small. You know, I always say our small prayers are some of the biggest prayers that are answered. Mm-hmm. Not the other way around. Yeah, it's true. So and that's kind of the, the pinnacle, the kickstart of, of serving. So then Lean Feast actually went live. So I got approved of SBA, which mm-hmm. was a miracle. I don't have restaurant experience by any means um, other than me serving at the alumni center in college. Mm-hmm. That's what I put on my resume because they need something. Yeah. Um, all I had was like oil and gas, oil and gas. Like, yeah. Why does this, what does this guy want to start a restaurant for? Like he's got a, he's got a good resume for an engineer, but mm-hmm. so luckily um, the president and the vice president, Chrissy Gross at a uh, community trust bank in Ashland, I'm forever thankful um, for her taking a chance with me. Um, she put in a good word and helped me out and come to find out I have a seven year, six month SBA loan. Um, the only one to get approved in Lean Feast as a whole, which is even more mind block. Um, we got the, uh, so the first place I looked at, so there's two different places I was looking at Virginia. I knew it was kind of too expensive at the time and I didn't want to go back home. So I was like, well, there's either Lexington or Louisville. Lexington just it just I, I knew it was Lexington like because obviously the mission I heard Lexington not here Louisville um, I was browsing on LoopNet and looking in Louisville but I was like the first location that I found in Lexington on LoopNet was the location that I'm in today <laughs> I, 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 I kid you not it's in my it's in my book it's in my journal it's it's everywhere it's written it's time stamped like everything so um, I think the irony of that it was actually an old Brewster's mm-hmm. right yep off Ruscio Way, and uh, it sat dormant for two and a half years because I guess the the just the, the man was old and he just was tired of it and so he wanted to get rid of it. And so I got to negotiate my rate, I got to negotiate my cam, and uh, I got the keys November the seventh of twenty twenty. Wow! And that's when I started my construction. Wow. And when is it ever that you're under budget and ahead of schedule in our day and age? Right. So that's when I knew it was a miracle. So from right. November, December, January, it took about two and a half months to get the full build out. I was able to open up in January, but I waited until February, the first week of February. So February the 7th of 2021, I opened the doors. And I'm thinking in my head about all the independent restaurants. Closing. Closing. <laughs> and, and, then, and then Malone's putting like a... Right. Literally like a a, a, a satellite location right. in front. It, right. And I'm over here starting right. out, whatever. <laughs> right. And dude, I'm telling you, like, when I say this, dad, like the amount of pr- like worry and tears and like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like I had so many second guesses. Like I'm thinking to myself, like, what am I doing? I and you got to think about like the news is saying like this restaurant closes, Bar Louie closes. And I was like, no, nah, who, who cares? Like, screw it. You know, like, let's send it, right? Full <laughs> throttle. God, if you're, if you're in it, you're in it. If yeah. not, if you want me to, yeah. bat, whatever. So me and God are just having, he's like, <laughs> he's like, man, son, just listen to me. Like, listen to me. I got you. You're good. And um, man, just, uh, we'll have to, 
I'll have to send you the before and after picture so you can show on this. But um, it was two men and me, really the two men, and then I was kind of like the project manager. Um, and whatever they needed, like if there was lunch or if they wanted me to go get light bulbs, whatever the case was, I was there for moral support. But, dude, I was focused on personal development. Mm. I was focused on just staying in shape. I was focused on just finally having a break. And it was so crazy, man. In December, I, I rekindled, or excuse me, November, I rekindled back with Sarah. Mm. And uh, this is November after Lean Feast? No, no, no. So November so of 2020. November and yep. then 2021. Okay, yep. so this is right as it's all come together. Right. And so me and Sarah, kind of just small talk. I was back home in Virginia while guys were working and they would FaceTime me or take pictures, just make sure if they need anything. But, um, in December, I, I remember, uh, getting a chance to talk to Sarah, like for a fairly long time throughout the night. Um, and I share my personal testimony and my intentions were just to rekindle as friends. Yeah, just catch up. Right. And I always said that the woman that I marry would cry during my testimony mm. and I didn't know she cried. Um, I think I wasn't paying attention or she put the phone down to like weep a little bit and then come back. And I, and I, I really think that was like kind of the kickstart of our entire marriage. Um, it was just like the fact that this was like the first time I opened up to really any female of my personal testimony. Mm. Um, I think that was the right time. I think there's the perfect timing for everything. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, when I asked her if there's anything I can pray for, she's like, Whoa, like, well, this is not the same Collins I remember, right? Yeah. Like this is a little weird. And so, um, you know, I, I would have to say without Sarah, it, it would have been different. It, it would have been different in a way that I feel like Sarah humbled me. I feel like Sarah helped me through the process. She, she was there to like, just Collins keep going. You know, I, I see your vision. Like, it's crazy how God brings people in your life to, you know, n not not intentionally be there, you know, to be like a cheerleader. But Sarah was there, like right by my side. You know, late. You know, s some of the most successful people that I've ever met had their wives support their vision and journey to to where they are today. Mm -hmm. And so it's just crazy to think now, and this is, I've, I've never spoke about this, but it's just interesting to think how Sarah came back into my life, like in time that I did have hesitancy in times where I was like, man, God, is this going to work? And, and you know, that, that instead of being isolated, like Sarah and I were just now talking on the regular mm -hmm. and it kind of took my, my, my negative focus off of like, well, what happens if this fails mm. to what ha well, she's telling me it's going to work mm. or she's like Collins, like, this is awesome. Like, are you excited? Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, mm. and, and I feel like she was placed in my life, not only to be my wife, but also in that season or in that time frame to give me some moral support. I'm going to help you out here. Just for a Come on. Not only to be your wife, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> um, what you mean is the timing of it happened for a reason. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It. It. And I. And I. I really haven't like like I really haven't honed in because we've we've talked about our story, but like to really hone in on December and January, 
that was really like the kickstart of our relationship as friends, mm. as really good friends, because we were just FaceTiming at night and I respected her time. And I remember now I was going to visit her, mm. but I didn't visit her until February because I wanted to make sure like, all right, if this is going to be not only my girlfriend, but a, a potential spouse, right, uh, my wife, then I need to be intentional mm. on dating. I need to make sure that we set boundaries, guidelines, you know, I don't want to waste your time. I want to respect your time. And I wouldn't do this right this yeah. time mm -hmm. rather than being that same old coward, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was intentional with her and respected her, not only the kids' schedules, but you know, my wife's work schedule and Hey, I mean, I had a lot of flexibility because the restaurant was just being, you know, established and whatnot. So, you know, that was, you know, valued um, just the whole intentionality of, of, of our relationship from December, January to February was very important. Mm. Like that was like a, I would have to say that was kind of the, the strong foundation because we like were friends in the beginning good solid friends into dating starting in February of Valentine's Day. And I drove two hours to see her. Yeah. Like I was I wasn't like that back then. Yeah. I was like, no, you're coming to me. Right. Right. Now I'm driving two hours to respect her time to be there for her. Um every time I visit her, I slept on the couch. You know, I said we're not sleeping in the same room. Mm -hmm. You know, I and then it was like almost, you know, the only thing you know, just giving her that first kiss was everything, bringing her flowers on Valentine's Day and just, you know, really saying, you know, Sarah, I, I really see a future with us. I want to take this to another level. Like, I, I, I'm asking you to be my girlfriend rather than just in all the other relationships, just, well, I don't know what we are, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I really acted on being the man of the relationship mm -hmm. and saying, I want to take this moving forward. And I want to make this permanent. And I haven't looked back since. She's my wife, and uh, you know we're best friends when we're you know just either at the house laughing, loving. I mean, it's just it's been an incredible relationship. I mean, there's highs and lows, and um, we've grown so fast together. It. I'm very excited for the future with our marriage. Well, and you, you hit on so many things there I could react to. Um, <laughs> so it's like, I think people, especially now, generally are not intentional with how they build that foundation of their relationship because relationships have been turned into commodities and everyone's disposable because the next person is just a swipe on the other side. I call it the new car smell. Yeah, bro. <laughs> and then I think the other thing that you said is true about the value of that partnership when you're trying to really build something. You can't... Um, you have to have that. You just have to. I, I, I wouldn't... Um, I wouldn't be who I am without my wife. Right. Dude, I could do 
15 years on that. You have no idea. But that's real. It's not always easy, but that's real. Right. Right? Yep. Um, so the restaurant concept, we haven't even talked about it. You're wearing a lean fee shirt. We haven't even talked about the restaurant. It Really, without the mission, you don't have the restaurant. Yeah, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? So, And I'm not being dismissive or saying that that's the wrong thing. I'm just sort of laughing about it, right? So this is why you said to me whenever the Marksbury guys were there, you were like, no, I have to hit my macros. I didn't understand that there were macro guidelines and you had a franchise. I thought this was all your, your concept and you had this freedom to where it would be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Let's try that. You can't. That's not That's not. There are stipulations, mm-hmm. um, and also that it comes with a legality standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if I'm outside the guidelines and there's someone that's trying to hit their macros and mm-hmm. they ate something that, um, for example, you know, you know the whole Burger King yeah, lawsuit yeah, yeah, yeah. where they didn't specifically say that their Beyond patties were going on same, the same. Girl yeah, it's that, a misrepresentation. Correct. So I get it, but luckily. I've set a precedence and all of our, like my customer base is, is very open. And you know, if, if there is someone that needs to hit their macros then I have that, mm. that conversation with them, but, um, I try to keep things as simple as possible, but I also listen to my customers and then I act on what they, they want. So put on your marketing business entrepreneur hat. What is Lean Feast as a concept? I, I, because I, I tell you, Collins, you've been there since early 2021, and I, I have a lot of health conscious friends who've lived in Lexington for a long time who care about the quality of their food that have never heard of Lean Feast. He's one of them. I was telling him about you the other day, and he was like, "What? Where is this place?" <laughs> right. Well, and like me, like y- you know that I'm into this stuff, right? Just from all our conversations, I didn't know you were over there until you walked in my office, right? So have that conversation What about what your restaurant is. So it's just a healthy grab-and-go restaurant to where you can pick a protein, carb, and vegetable, and it's kind of build your own bowl, very mm-hmm. similar to like a Chipotle style, mm-hmm. except we don't cook with oils. We don't have butters or, you know, basically the, the amounts of sodium that people add to a meal now in today's mm-hmm. uh, restaurant. Um, but also uh, because I not only uh, own the, but I also operate the restaurant, I'm able to kind of uh, quality control mm. everything. So we've decided to partner local. Um, something that I kind of went outside the FDD for about um, only because of, of uh, the stipulations with suppliers and whatnot through the whole pandemic. But um, I got grace and blessing to to do that. So I decided to partner local with Marksbury and Critchfield and Papanias also in the spring and the summer and the fall. They also sh- uh, have Kentucky Proud products that we also go for. And then I'm also part of Kentucky Proud for how specific I can get a meal mm-hmm. um, of all of Kentucky Proud. So the tri-tip steak and zucchini and squash would make a Kentucky Proud meal. Mm-hmm. So also part of Kentucky Proud. And they just sent out a list of newer farms that I can shop at uh, for produce and the different time frames as to when that's operating. So moving forward this year, I'm going to be looking forward to um, visiting some of those farms to where I can get um, different produce uh, right from the farm rather than going to a, a supplier or whatnot. So, um, but Papanias has been great. They know exactly what I'm looking for. Critchfield's been great. The family. And then Mark Sperry's been awesome and very supportive as well. 
That's awesome, man. And, and and I'll tell you just from my perspective, there are places you can go where you can spend eighty dollars on a steak. That's covered in seed oil. <laughs> or butter. With margarine for your yeast rolls. And it's like you're paying for an experience, you're not paying for quality. Correct. And nothing against it. I respect anyone who's able to operate a restaurant and survive. And I, I love to take my wife out for for a good you know meal, um, for that experience. But just for me, for for day to day, um, to ha- to have some place I can go that's five minutes from my office, I have a relationship with you. I know where the food comes from. You have grass fed beef. It's 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 like already so huge for me, dude. Mm. And, I, and I think I think that's true probably for a lot of people who don't even know you're there yet. Yeah, that was um I, I nothing against the franchise, but you know, building a business is a lot harder than just putting a storefront and saying, Okay, we're open. Um, you have to do the due diligence of marketing. Um, it was also more challenging because nobody was going anywhere during COVID. <laughs> yeah. Right. How <laughs> so, do you tell people? Right? So it's like so a lot of it's been uh my hands and my feet. Absolutely. Getting out there, shaking hands, partnering with the brokerage. Zach Johnson, uh, you know, came in and, and he was the one that actually kindled the relationship with the brokerage. Mm-hmm. And him and I, very similar mindset and, and vision and, and we're both, you know, fathers for kids and all that. So it's just, it, it effortlessly became natural to partner with you guys. And not in a million years where I think I partnered with the number one brokerage, <laughs> like the real estate advisory in, in the city of Lexington. But I would have to say the Lord has a sense of humor um, but in reality, man, that whole, like, I'm just now seeing the fruit of two years of labor and you got to keep in mind that like, I, I don't make a lot of money in this industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just going to be real. I'm not a, uh, I, I'm not, I will say this, the majority of the restaurant industry buys low quality products for cheap. And they mark it up by 40 or 50%. The reason why you feel terrible after you eat a meal from different locations, I don't need to specify. I think everybody knows where those locations are. It's because they've oversaturated, uh, oversalted, and they've put those oils to make it taste good in the beginning, but then you feel bad Mm. on the backside. Mm. And so what I was like doing, you know what? Instead of focusing so much on transaction, Let's focus on quality and consistency and let's let the food speak for itself and eventually just slowly grow the business rather than have a giant spike like the stock market and then very fast start crumbling down when people catch on to the quality is not there, mm. the consistency is not there, mm. and I'm just trying to be a, a, a Chipotle or Subway. Mm. I, I don't want to be them. Mm. I harp on quality, consistency. I don't want to be a family-run business. That's it. Mm. And so for two years, I didn't pay myself at all. And I have a P&L statement and I have tax statements to show wow. that if you really want to make a business work, then you need to, how, how, what's your biggest sacrifice? And so when a lot of people drive off of money, I drive off of relationships in my mission. And so every morning, there's no salary. There's no hourly wage. There's, le- it's, it's, Leaders eat last. 
And I decided to sacrifice everything for the first two years. Like all my mentors told me, if you really want this business to succeed, you'll sacrifice everything you have. And so what I did was I saved, I saved a lot of money. I was diligent with my time and I established this business from the ground up for two years. And I'm just now seeing the fruit of the two years of putting everybody first and myself last. That's crazy, bro. And I don't mean that critically. I just, wow. Well, I, actions need to speak louder than words because we have a, we live in a day and age to where everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, but nobody wants to put in the work. Bro, that's real. So, does your actions speak louder than words when it comes to your business? Mm. It's either a yes or a no. Mm. Let me see your P&L statement. And I'll see exactly where your heart is. I'm not driven off of money. My wife will tell you. In fact, I actually hate money. Yeah. I actually, I, I heard something the other day of George Mueller. Um, he ran a foster home um, in Europe, uh, a man of faith. And he, after the end of his life, he had cycled over eight and a half million dollars and this was back in the 1800s mm. for, for children, for the community, for everybody. And in today's dollars, that'd be worth over $200 million that he had. He never kept it. It was just passing through. Two years, um, I hit my two-year mark on February the 7th of 2023. Um, I looked at my P&L statements and um, between my discounts and payroll and uh, my gross and everything, um, I don't have a lot of money in my business account at all. I'm just gonna be real, but I've able to be, um, it's been an honor to steward over a million dollars through my business, right? which is awesome. Right. Not in a million years, would I have thought that the Lord let me handle over a million dollars to steward to this community. Um, I don't drive a nice car. Mm. I don't have a house. I just love the Lord and love caring and serving people and um uh, being rich is not on my top of my bucket list or anything in my i i could i honestly could live this entire life until the day that i die not change anything because i value people more than money you have to have that money for the business to sustain itself though you have to be able to keep doing it and all i focus on is having my lights keeping the quality Mm. paying my staff and making sure that I can provide for my family. And I have been able to. And so, um, you know, we live in a very interesting era and in, in day and age. And I'm just hoping that um, I can continue to serve how I'm serving right now. Um, I want to keep my quality there. I want to keep all of the partnerships that I have with all of the local farms there. Um, I want to keep the same staff. I have a small staff. I've actually sacrificed uh, putting myself in the business then paying a GM and not right, right having those yeah. conversations with my customers and relationships and focusing on just the dollar sign. And so I know, uh, thanks to Rob Perez, 
owns DBA Kitchen. He said, Love just Rob. right, be patient, Collins. Yeah, it'll come. Um, and keep loving and serving people. Yeah, Collins, man. I, I'm so honored you'd you'd share this story with me. Um, I almost don't feel worthy to to be the one to sit here and record it, brother. Really. <laughs> um. It's a pow- it's a powerful story, and and I'm I'm glad you have have your place i'm glad you're here and um glad i get to see you all the time man thank you absolutely man i appreciate the just the invite and allow me to share uh, a snippet of uh why i'm here in lexington and loving this community yeah I, well i love it man and um i can't imagine this having gone any better brother thank you absolutely brother.